All right, welcome back to another edition of the Golden Homers podcast. I'm with my co-host, Mason Plummer. Um, We're on our fifth episode. We apologize for not having an episode last week. We had some uh, technical difficulties after the Florida State game. Uh, It was probably because of the Florida State game, to be completely honest, why we had those technical difficulties. But uh, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Nathan underscore Erbach, and you can find Mason um, at Mason Plummer underscore uh, so very similar in those regards when it comes to our Twitter handles. Uh, we have a special guest today, uh, former Notre Dame wide receiver Robbie Toma uh, was gracious enough to join us um, under some uh, unique circumstances because uh, him and him and uh, Mason were going a little back and Twitter for a second uh, earlier this uh, or like late <laughs> last week, I should say. And uh, no, but Robbie, uh, Robbie joins us right now uh, to start this show. And uh, uh, Robbie, how are you doing today? Doing great, guys. Uh, appreciate you guys having me, and uh, nothing but love, Mace. Nothing but love. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, I was. Uh, I saw you commented back to me, and I thought maybe it was a like a fake account because I know there's there are some like fan accounts from from what back when you were playing at Notre Dame of like you know Robbie Toma whatever. So then then I clicked on the account. I was like, no, there's no way that Robbie Toma quote tweeted <laughs> me, and, and then you did, and I was like, you know, I got to make the most out of this. We got to get him on the pod. <laughs> Oh no, that's not, no. I actually um, lost my Twitter account when Notre Dame switched their emails, and I can't I can't get into my my old one. You need a you need a blue check mark next to your name. <laughs> it's all, it's all good. We'll make it happen. Yeah, it's Way funny. It's funny you guys say that because uh, when it came, I think it was last year. I tweeted something, and it was in regards to Alohi Gilman and how he. Um, was like a zero star recruit, you know, didn't have many offers coming out of high school. And then he obviously turned into a, you know, a fifth or sixth round pick, whatever it was. And he quote tweeted my tweet at that point in time. And I thought he was mad. And it was, cause it was, cause it was all love on my part. It was all about, you know, how he, you know, he, you know, he ended up at Navy transfers to Notre Dame ends up being one of the best safeties in the country. And then he quote tweeted it. And I'm like, Oh man, I just pissed off one of the better Notre Dame players over the last, you know, five or six years. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> no, I found Love that it. funny. Love it. No, although he's a good guy. I actually grew up with, um, you know, his family. So definitely nothing but love for that guy. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, we'll get over it. We'll, we'll kind of get into kind of the Hawaii Notre Dame pipeline here in a second because it seems to to be rolling on all cylinders um, over the, you know, the last five, six years now that, especially now that Brian Polian's back, um, you know, with, with the Notre Dame coaching staff. But I uh, want to get into a little you know, what we've seen so far from the Notre Dame team this year. Um, obviously, Robbie, with you being a former player, you played under Coach Kelly, I think, for two seasons, if, I, if I'm not um, – if, if I'm correct there. And then, um, you know, we'll just, we'll just kind of – I want to get your thoughts to start off on kind of what the team looks like this year. Yeah, no, um, I actually got to play three years under Kelly, um, which, was, which was awesome. You know, I was obviously there for the transition year, but – um, no, I mean, I think this year you're seeing a, a very talented team that's just going through some ups and downs early in the year. And, um, you know, I, I think in the past we've lost some of these games where it's been close. And, um, yeah, I mean, they're as, as not good as it looked, if I'm putting it in, you know, politically correct terms. <laughs> but it's uh, – no, they're they're learning how to win, and I think that's very important, especially early in the year. I definitely think that you know this might go against my point later on because I understand that winning is difficult, and I think I think you're right that maybe earlier on in the Kelly era that Notre Dame loses one or two of these games where they win in back-to-back three-point games against Florida State and Toledo, and I think earlier in Kelly's tenure, before he learned how to win consistently at a program like Notre Dame, I think they do drop one of those. So I know that you're going to use this as ammo against me, but I do understand <laughs> that it. winning is difficult, <laughs> and I, I can see that Kelly's made improvements and has made this program much more consistent, which I can appreciate. Yeah, no, that, I mean, people forget. Uh, maybe not forget. I don't forget. I was there when we lost to South Florida and we lost to Tulsa. Um, shoot, we lost the Navy twice while I was there, you know, so, um, but, you know, when you get into games like that, you, there's sometimes you're just in a funk, and 
no matter what you do, you can't, you, you know, you got your rah-rah guys out there trying to hype people up. And, um, you know, it's kind of like having a bad day at practice, right? You just, <laughs> some days you just can't do it. I mean, you, you saw if you watched the Monday night game, um, Waller or Whaler, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but he's one of the best tight ends in the league. He dropped like four or five balls. So, you know, you just kind of, some days you have it, some days you don't. I'm just glad that they, you know, they won two games in a row where they didn't really have it. And you bring up, I think you bring up two uh, interesting comparisons with the South Florida and Tulsa games. Um, you know, like South Florida was is maybe kind of reminiscent a little bit of what Florida State's going through right now. And then Tulsa's, you know, kind of on the same level playing field as a, as a Toledo. And, and like you mentioned, you know, in, in those two instances, Notre Dame lost those games. And this year they're lucky enough to be 2-0 and in those games. And I think that that is kind of an interesting topic of discussion and, and where this program is and where they've been since, you know, kind of like the 2016 fiasco where, you know, they, you know, they ended up going, what, 3-9, and 4-8, and eight, whatever it was. And yeah. since then they've been a, a staple of going pretty much 10-2 and two every season or, or better. And, you know, I think like you mentioned, I mean, winning those two games – possibly will be their two ugliest games of the season. Um, even if they do end up losing a game down the road against like maybe a more quality opponent, you know, the, 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 the I think the thing to take away from it the most is that they are two and zero, and then they're, you know, they can improve from there and improve to hopefully championship level football. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I think one of the biggest things for them, just, you know, in my humble opinion, just they, we've seen them start really fast and then we've seen them finish strong, but everything in the middle has been pretty subpar. Um, you know, a lot of giving up a lot of explosive plays um, defensively. And then, you know, we had a couple of turnovers as well as just some, some mental errors that you could kind of see. So, I, you know, I think, like I said, it's just learning how to win and, and, we just got to clean up the, the middle of the essay so that we could have a final final conclusion that everybody's happy with. Gotcha, Robbie. So I think it goes without saying that Kelly is a different coach now than he was when you played for him. He's made some significant changes to his philosophy and the, just the way he handles things at a place like Notre Dame. But what was he like to play for? Uh, how would you describe what Brian Kelly was like back then? And can you have you seen the changes? You know, obviously you're not – in the program anymore, but have you seen it as like an outsider's perspective as well? Yeah. I mean, I, I think his biggest transition was between year one and year three where, you know, after coach Weiss um, had gotten fired, Kelly came in and um, you know, he wanted to impose maybe not his will, but, you know, create a culture that he was accustomed to or that he wanted to mold. And there's a lot of, I don't think he was ready for the amount of, you know, pressure and scrutiny he was going to get from, from everyone. So, you know, you saw him on ESPN with the big red face yelling at people and, um, you know, he, you know, he kind of had a little hiccup where, you know, he, he got upset in a team meeting and said some things he didn't mean. And, you know, he, we had an, he had an emotional apology to the team, um, you know, a few days later, or maybe even a few hours later where, where, uh, you know, he just was kind of just kind of opened up. And I think you saw um, just a, a, a coach growing with, with a program that was also in need of a little growing as well. And, um, you know, I think with four 10-win seasons in a row, um, the expectation is a lot higher than it's been in, in a while. And um, so when we see, uh, you know, close games like this, it kind of pisses everyone off, but... Um, you know, we got to keep it on perspective, right? What were your, what were your, uh, what was your kind of opinion watching it uh, on TV after the Florida State game when he mentioned the, the execution uh, of the team? I know I thought it was kind of funny and we had like this, you know, like, you know, anything you kind of say these days is sort of taken, you know, with a lot of scrutiny. Um, but I personally felt that it was sort of funny. I thought that he only makes that comment if he has the locker room and a place that he likes as a coach. Oh, I loved it. I mean, even if he meant it, I loved it. <laughs> you know, if, if you're, <laughs> if, if you're, if you're a, like, this is one thing that I always like when kids make mistakes or when athletes make mistakes, they know it, you know, 
and the coaches know it. And then, you know, Kelly is used to a, a level of executing from like, a, you know, do your job standpoint, not actual executing people. But <laughs> um, so when he's asking, you know, I just I thought it was I thought it was clever. But even before I knew where the quote came from. I, I was watching with my uh, with a couple buddies and, and my dad, and I said, "Dad, did you hear that? That was awesome." <laughs> and uh, you know, sure enough, he he caught some heat for it, and then um, you know, I caught wind of that. Play like a champion today, you know, dot 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 or die. <laughs> that was fun. I thought <laughs> um, too. You know, I, I if that's you know that's also a whole another issue is you know everybody is so quick to be sensitive now nowadays and um i just i thought you know it was a good message to his team that ex- executing is the the you know what they're looking for from from a assignment standpoint and if you don't then you might as well get executed <laughs> you bring up a good point so robbie from obviously you played you know the x's and o's better than any of us what do you think is the next step for Notre Dame in getting past these three-point wins and really going out? And this weekend, it's a it's a good Purdue team, but they're not great. Notre Dame should win by a couple scores if they're playing well. What's the next step in really putting it to a, a team like Purdue that Notre Dame should win comfortably? I mean, if like I, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, if you if you look at the last two games, they started real fast even defensively uh well minus that wheel route from number eight that kid was fast though um but if you if you look at it everything in between is just kind of um it just looks like there's not a lot of intensity and um but you know i mean you know the kids are passionate about what they're doing they just i think maybe a little bit more attention to detail and again i don't know what kind of schemes tommy's running or you know, what kind of assignments they have. But um, I think if they just just play fast, they'll, they'll be fine. I mean, fly around and, ha- and most of all, have some fun. I think that's actually a good, a good point, that last one specifically. And I, and I think Kelly brought that up. I forget if it was after Florida State or if it was after Toledo, especially defensively, just letting these guys, you know, play a little bit more free and just with a little bit less – um, I don't know. I know Kelly uses this uses this word a lot, like or phrase a lot, attention to detail. But just yeah. use your use your athleticism and use your you know you know just the athletic traits that are God given to you, um, you know, and, and play the way you that you've been playing your entire you know essentially your entire life. Uh, and you know those those athletic traits will show if you if you if you kind of just play a little bit more free like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean when. When you're playing unconscious and you don't have to think, you, I mean, it's it's not rocket science. You know, you, you, you play faster and play loose, and um, yeah, I mean, you know, celebrate with your team and enjoy enjoy the victories and you know enjoy the ups and downs because uh, I'll tell you, it goes by fast. <laughs> right. Now so, I know. Robbie, I want to get your yeah, opinion. Go ahead, Oh, yeah, sorry. Robbie, I want to get your opinion on the, the quarterback situation that's going on right now. Um, it looked like it was Jack Cohn's job, and I still think it is to a certain extent, but it, Notre Dame needed Tyler Buckner in order to win last week. So I'm curious where you lie. I've heard that this is a long time saying now that if you have two quarterbacks, you have none, but it looked like Notre Dame needed two quarterbacks to win. So where do you kind of fall? Well, I mean, again, I I haven't had any conversations with with the coaches or, or anything, um, but just from my just looking at the game, I haven't watched film. It's just you know from my memory, there were two instances where I don't know if he was told to hand it off, but it looked like he ran his own read and could have pulled it. Um, so I I think it was just more maybe maybe Tyler might be more um, what's the word uh experience I, I, and I, I don't really know much about Tyler but from a zone read standpoint because he pulled it you know from the five yard line and had a big game so I, I I do think that it was kind of more of a situation where they're really trying to get the quarterback involved in the run game which I think yeah overall helped the run game I mean we saw that I think on Tyler's first drive when Kyron Kyron Williams ended up breaking off that 43 yard touchdown run um, but then, you know, at the, obviously at the end of the game, we see exactly where you want Jack Cohen 
you know, involved. And that's, you know, when he throws the, he, he leads the, he leads the team all the way down. He, he dislocates his finger in the process. Next play comes back, throws a touchdown to Michael Mayer. And maybe that's a drive that, that Tyler Buckner is not ready for at this point in his career. So um, I, I tend to agree with Mason that when you typically, when you have two quarterbacks, you might have none. Um, but I think with this specific Notre Dame team, um, and at least right now with the kind of the running game the way it is, it, you know, you're probably looking at a, a team that needs both quarterbacks playing and playing well to, to be effective. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it's game by game and situation by situation. So um, it, it's, it reminded me of our first home game against Purdue uh, where, you know, Tommy came in to relieve uh, Everett and Tommy, um, you know, led us on a drive to, to win the game. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of experience involved, but I think that they must be comfortable and they must have seen something in – in all camp, and I think Tyler was there in spring to, you know, allow them to run this two-quarterback system. Now, Tom, questions for you about kind of maybe like your play, around your playing time. Um, you, you mentioned Tommy Reese. Um, you know, just he was obviously the quarterback or, or one of the quarterbacks in Notre Dame when you were there. And I think as fans, we always heard that Brian Kelly and Tommy Reese had a great relationship. Um, you know, Tommy was always going to be someone that ended up, you know, coaching later on in his career. I mean, obviously that's come to fruition. Is that something that you guys kind of knew playing? Like how, how, how good was Tommy when it came to like just the X's and O's on offense? I mean, he's, 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 he was always confident and, um, he put the time in, um, you know, I know, I remember there was an instance in practice. Uh, I think Tommy was a, might've been his freshman year where uh, Kelly yelled at him and Tommy just turned around and said, well, you know, you should probably look at the film before you yell at me. So, <laughs> you, know, sure, you know, sure enough, Tommy ended up being right. Um, I think I've heard that story before, but uh, no, I mean, it's, you know, it's little things like that where, you know, you know, Tommy has always studied the game. His dad was a scout, I believe for a couple NFL teams and um, just, just passionate about the game and, you know, yeah, I, I always figured Tommy would be, be a coach or a scout or, or something of that nature. My next question, um, it's sort of, uh, sort of going off the, how Notre Dame this year has two, I think, players specifically that are considered elite. Um, and that's Kyle Hamilton on defense and, and Michael Mayer. Um, the tight end on offense when you were playing uh, and, and actually I've been, before I get into that, I've been, I've been quick to say that this might be Notre Dame might have the best player on defense in the entire country. And they might have the best player on offense in the entire country, which I think is an interesting combo to have. Cause I think even the Alabama's, the Clemson's, the Ohio States of the world, that's not something you can necessarily say on a yearly basis. When you yeah. played with a lot of really uh, but, good players, obviously like Tyler Eifert, Manti Teo, same high school as you, obviously. Um, you know, Harrison Smith, even. Do you, what do you kind of think of, of that comment of mine? And how would you compare those guys maybe to some, some offensive and defensive combos of the past? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I, – I hate getting into comparisons. You know, it's, it's one of those, like, Le, LeBron versus Jordan type <laughs> deals, you know. Um, I just, you know – I was very lucky enough to play like with Golden Tate, you know, uh, Harrison Smith, like you mentioned, Manti, Tyler, Theo Riddick, the list goes on and on. Um, so, I mean, that's the standard, I, I think, you know. So when you see a guy like Kyle come in, you're very excited. But, you know, when, when you see him, you expect it, right? And you expect that. Now that we're kind of like tight end you, you expect to see, you know, Mayer doing what he's doing. So, um, yeah, you bring up a great point. Like, you know, we might have the two best uh, weapons in the country. And, um, you know, if everybody else takes their lead, um, you know, we're going to see some special things. And I, I love our running back duo, too, with um, Kyron and, uh, and Chris. 
um, those guys, those guys are special, man. So we got some, and even uh, was it? Oh, shoot, I'm sorry, I forgot number zero and 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 uh, Avery's name, but yeah, Brent Lindsay. Yeah, those guys can run, so it's it's exciting, man. We just gotta, like I said earlier, we just gotta gotta fix that middle of the essay so we can so we can have a nice conclusion at the end, so we don't have to get tweaked like Mason. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into it then. Um, so. Winning, I, I, I said afterward that I had left the stadium. I was lucky enough to be able to go to the game. And I said afterwards, I was walking to my car. I was like, you know what? I just know that Kelly's going to say something. Kind of, <laughs> I hate coach speak. And I don't know how you feel as a player about coach speak. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, where a coach would just say something kind of vague to kind of get the media off his back. And just the idea, and I don't know if he actually said it or not, but the idea of I think saying, he did. Oh, you know, win, winning is hard <laughs> after – yeah. A win against Toledo. Um, obviously, you and I have differing opinions on that, but uh, just go ahead and kind of give me your thoughts as a player. I mean, I understand winning is hard, but you have a different perspective on it. I mean, even before the game, I told a, a buddy of mine who, who doesn't have a dog in the fight, where he, you know, he's not like Notre Dame or Toledo fan, and I just said when teams come to Notre Dame, they tend to play out of their minds. Um, and I, I mean, he, Tulsa, I mean, uh, excuse me, Toledo, they all, they played fast, they played aggressive and we, we just didn't match that energy. I didn't think, um, for whatever reason, you know, it just looked like they didn't have it no matter what happened. And as a former player, I remember, you know, there were days, um, where you just didn't have it. Um, there's no rhyme or reason for it, but at the end of the day, the reason why I always side with the players is not just, well, you know, partly because I played, but you know, nobody is more upset than those that are in the locker room. So, you know, it doesn't help when you, when you look at your Twitter and you're getting reamed by, you know, the whole, the whole country. So, um, that's just kind of my feeling towards it. I do believe winning is hard. And I think when you do win, whether it's one point against Toledo or, um, you know, thousand points against whoever it is, just enjoy it. And then 24 hour rule, wipe it clean and, and start, start the new game plan. So when you say that you don't have it on a certain day, uh, it did look like a couple, a couple guys on the field in the gold helmets didn't have it. Um, do, do you ever struggle, or maybe not you specifically, but do you think that guys struggle to get up for a game like a, a Toledo or as, as opposed to whether you're bringing in like a Clemson or a Georgia into the house where you're going you're gonna to be excited about that game, the best one to play against the best. But did you ever in your playing experience ever have any time where you're just like, you know what, it's hard to get up for a game like Toledo where you're expected to win and they're not top-notch competition, that kind of thing? No, I think – I honestly think this, and this is just, you know, my opinion. When when you play a team that you're supposed to beat or smash, right? Your your mindset is, I'm gonna go get my other teammates at the ball game. Like that's that was always my mindset. And when I, when you know coaching, I always told my starters, when we play these games, we want to get everybody in because they deserve to play too. They you know, and I, it's for me. It was more exciting watching, you know, walk-ons get in and, and guys who didn't, or you know, watching freshmen get in for the first time. Right, um, that was always very exciting for me. So, I don't think it was ever like, you know, not wanting to get up for a game. It's like, you know, one day you just you, you can't catch the damn ball, or you know you. You can't get your your right steps on your on your reach block or you know whatever it might be and you know it just trickles down. So, um, you know, like I said earlier, they're learning how to win, and it was a close game and, and a game that we might have lost. So, um, you know, let's just enjoy the win. Robbie, I have a question for you, uh, kind of regarding your uh, your recruiting process to Notre Dame, and I think this is going to kind of maybe play a little bit of a role in talking. Um, kind of like the Hawaii to, to Notre Dame pipeline. 
um, that's sort of been developed since Manti Teo and, and yourself specifically. Um, what, what was sort of your recruiting process like? I know that you played high school with Manti and you guys both came to Notre Dame in 2000. I think it was part of the 2009 recruiting class, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And, um, you know, and then obviously since then, there's been so many guys. I mean, even on this year's roster, you have Maris Leofau, Jordan Patello, yeah. um, you know, and, and, you know, and then they've had some several, Myron. several, yeah, yeah Myron Tagovolomosa as well. Um, you know, and then they've had some several other guys, you know, since, since you guys kind of created that pipeline. Um, what was your recruiting process like? And then kind of just walk us through the Hawaii Notre Dame uh, connection. Yeah. I mean, for me, uh, you know, it, I was very lucky because, you know, obviously I was best friends at Manti. So when Manti would go on visits, he would give, you know, coaches my DVD because, you know, it wasn't huddle back then. Um, and, you know, because it was Manti, they would, they would watch my highlight. So, um, <laughs> you know, they, I'm sure, you know, coaches get, or back then they would get thousands of, of videotapes, you know, for kids. So, I got a, you know, FedEx package right there. Um, and, you know, they would come to our practice and they would get acclimated to watching me play. And Weiss, you know, Weiss told me they offered me because um, there was a rainy practice and I didn't drop a ball. And, and he was pretty impressed with that. So, um, you know, that was kind of just uh, – pretty cool for me as you know a five nine hundred fifty pound pound kid to get some to get some you know recognition from some some big time coaches and um you know and then you know obviously Matt and I went to Notre Dame and then our buddy Kona uh who passed away not too long ago um you know missed that guy to death but you know us three were kind of the new Hawaii pipeline where um and hopefully inspiration to kids out here where you can go, you know, that far and be successful and, and have a good time. And, you know, yeah, you'll miss home, but I mean, what's the difference between, you know, flying five hours and flying nine hours. It's, it's not, not that big of a difference. So, um, you know, we enjoyed our time and I'm super proud of the, the local kids that are, um, you know, just keeping that pipeline strong right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and like I mentioned, I mean, I think like four, four players and, you know, guys like Alohi Gilman um, as well, um, you know, it, it keeps running strong. I think not a few and, and I think, and this year, I know uh, Mason, before we started talking, I think uh, mentioned Tefiti um, out of the same high school um, who's committed to Stanford, I believe. And I know Notre Dame was in on him for a long time and, you know, and a guy that they, that they wanted uh, for a while as well. So, um, no, just uh, I know, and, and I think the one thing that I enjoy from the you know the Polynesian Hawaiian players that come to to Notre Dame, none of you. It, it doesn't matter if it's like like you know, and I, and I hate to use this because I thought you were a terrific player at Notre Dame. It doesn't matter if you were a you know a three a, like a lower three star recruit or you were a Manti Teo. Everybody I know that has come out of Hawaii that's ended up at Notre Dame has has played I feel like a, a pretty significant been a really good player overall yeah I mean I, I I mean for me you know my my ceiling was real low where people thought if I played one snap that was a success so um, <laughs> it was good it was good that I got to you know play as much as I did but yeah no you're right we all we all definitely including Manta we all out um performed I think our expectations and you know these kids are continuing to do that I my heart hurts for Maris because uh, you know I worked with the kid and um, he's just he's such a good guy and oh uh, man I, I was really excited to watch him play this year yeah I think Maris was in for uh for a big time season and I think that that would shoot him up some draft boards potentially and have some NFL scouts for looking at him because I think he's a special talent and especially with all of the the size and muscle he's added and it doesn't look like he's lost a step in terms of speed as well, man. He just looks so big and also so fast. Uh, I'm excited to watch him next year. He was one of my top guys up, up coming into this year. And, and of course that's super unfortunate, but I know he's going to come back strong and uh, exceed expectations. It seemed like you guys always do. Absolutely. man. I, I, and, uh, you know, 
quick shout out to Myron. I know he lost his father, so um, you know, just make sure everybody keeps him in our prayers. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, that funeral service actually right after the game against Toledo. So, uh, you know, hard out to uh, to his family, and uh, no, I completely agree with that. Um, Robbie, it was great having you. Um, you know, we hope you, uh, we hope we can get you on here, um, again soon. And just, you know, maybe at the end of the season or something like that, we can talk, talk a little bit Notre Dame and see, you know, at where, where they're at at that point in time, hopefully 12 and 0 playoff or something. Um, but again, it was, it was great. It was great getting you on and, you know, fans of the show, if you're not following Robbie, I don't know if he was there, but, um, <laughs> I think they can find you at, is it Artoma seven? Is that, is I, I think it's Artoma 9. I don't know if there's a dot in there. Uh, Artoma 9. Artoma. I should have known that. That was your number, wasn't it? <laughs> don't even worry about it. <laughs> um, I'm so, an old head now. There you go. Hey, you're not much older than me, so it's okay. <laughs> um, well, but, I appreciate you guys having me. Um, looking forward to seeing Mason's emotional tweets after close victories. <laughs> oh, it's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> No, it's nothing but love, guys, and uh, appreciate you guys. And, you know, guys like you are what makes Notre Dame special, and the fan base is awesome. So much love to you guys. All right, same to you, Robbie. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for coming on, man. Aloha. Take care. Hey, guys. Nathan here from the Golden Homers podcast. When I'm cooking dinner or grilling on the weekends, I want to use what great chefs use in their steakhouses, exceptional quality meats. Meet up Vegas is my hookup meetupvegas.com that's m-e-a-t meet meetupvegas.com their specialty meat packs come with veal cutlet pork chops and extra meaty pork baby back ribs or prime rib and you already know meetupvegas.com is known for its unreal steaks all the meat is individually vacuum sealed to maintain absolute freshness for 200 plus days in your freezer and it's cheaper than you think check it out now at meetupvegas.com and use code Irish10 at checkout to receive $10 off your first order. All right, that was uh, that was Robbie Toma, former Notre Dame wide receiver uh, t- from 2009 to 2000. Uh, p- like he mentioned, played under uh, Charlie Weiss, played under Brian Kelly. Is uh, you know had 60 career receptions, two touchdowns. Um, you know, and and as he mentioned, he wasn't you know the star-studded recruit that. Uh, you know, that maybe like a man Titeo was, for example, but uh, obviously played a, you know, a pretty significant role sp- specifically during his final two seasons at Notre Dame, special teams player, um, you know, caught, caught plenty of balls in his time and, um, you know, just a really good player. And we, we appreciate having him on. Um, Mason, thanks for, thanks for the, uh, the, the annoying tweet that was able to get him going. Yeah, of course. I was just about to say that uh, it was kind of <laughs> under odd circumstances. I realized the tweet was annoying. I still believe in it. <laughs> but um, what such a cool perspective having Robbie Tom on. I, I couldn't have imagined that he would have ever came on our show. And uh, I know people say this when they have like former athletes on or whatever, especially guys that they enjoyed watching. But I, tr- I truly was a huge Robbie Toma fan growing up. And, you yeah. know, when I was nine, ten, okay, so nine through 12 years old when he was playing at Notre Dame. And at that time, you don't know stars or anything. I just yeah. I watched him play and I was like, this kid, this guy can ball. And I, I enjoyed watching him play a lot. And, you know, never in my wildest dreams that I imagine I'd have him on my own podcast, but, um, or our own podcast, I should say, but, um, yeah, super, uh, super cool perspective on, you know, he's, he's been in there with, with Brian Kelly. He's been in the trenches. He's been at Notre Dame and just a, a really good guy too. I, I, <laughs> we mentioned, uh, exceeding expectations. He exceeded my expectations in this interview. I expected it to be great. And, he hit it out of the park, man. It's just a cool guy. Uh, I think we're both excited to have him on again soon. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And I, and I think he was a fan favorite, I think, too. He's just one of those guys, kind of like a Chris Fink, even though he wasn't a walk-on to start his career. Um, you know, you just root for those guys. And I was a little bit in time, and I think Manti Teo was really the first recruit that I was, like, super excited about um, and, and really started getting into the, the actual recruiting aspects of college football. I was always a fan. Um, but around that time, sort of, you know, later into my high school years and graduating and stuff like that. So, um, it, it was a, it was a fun time. And I remember when Teo committed to Notre Dame over USC and I was super pumped. I was, I was driving home from like baseball practice or something like that with my dad. 
And, um, and he had no idea because he didn't follow that kind of stuff. And I was like, dad, Notre Dame just landed the best linebacker recruit in the country. He's from Hawaii. My dad was like, oh man, like Hawaii, that's freaking insane. So, um, no, it really fun and kind of a, a, a nostalgic sort of viewpoint there as well. Yeah, I'm excited to, to get to that point because I've only been really like in depth, like reading up on guys for probably three or four years now. So the guys that I was watching their tape when they're juniors and seniors in high school, they're just now making their mark at the collegiate level, whether it's at Notre Dame or not. So I'm, I'm starting to get into that point of, you, you know, your past experience where you're like, oh, man, I remember watching this guy's tape, watching him, you know, commit to X, Y, Z. If it's cool enough, it ends up being at Notre Dame and you get to really watch their career. So, you know, some of the guys that are upperclassmen now, I remember watching their recruitment pretty actively. So it is a super cool thing to do. And if you guys don't follow recruiting, it's it can be painful, but it's mm-hmm. uh, it's cool to watch a guy's process and uh, especially when it works out in Notre Dame's favor. And I think the the interesting part that me and you have both been able to experience over the last year or so as well is that we went from fandom where we really didn't know where guys were going in, in regards to, you know, kind of just looking at message boards. We would follow guys like Tom Loy, Brian Driscoll, you know, Singer, Sinclair, guys really were talking to these kids. And then all of a sudden me and you are thrown into this realm of, talking to a lot of these 2021 2022 kids specifically so some of them aren't even on campus yet 2020 a little bit as well and now we've seen this other side and we have a little bit more scoop that we you know don't always necessarily share on twitter per se but you know we we've gotten to know some of the guys that are on notre dame's roster or going to be on notre dame's roster and and it's it's weird the dynamic that changes when that is something that is kind of thrust upon you as a, as a Notre Dame fan more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. It was super cool. Um, you and I being able to, to have the scoop for once rather than, uh, rather than actively, you know, chasing it down on message boards or whatever, or trying to get it, get it secondhand. You and I for probably a span of two years collectively, we're really on top of it and, and not to, to either of our own horns, but we were, I think given our sources and given how long some guys on the, the Notre Dame beat and other other beats around the country have been doing it. I think we did a pretty good job in terms of, you know, getting our own information organically and just doing a good job of reading kids. And I think that they related to us as well, both of us being younger guys and no, no, uh, no way a diss to the Notre Dame beat. A lot of those guys are older though. And I think it's easier for us to relate to the younger guys and uh, just get a better feel for, for getting to know them as, as people and not necessarily just badgering them, but Hey, where are you going? Where are you going for this visit? Who, who do you like? You know, it's just getting to know them as people. And um, while we may never like hang out with them per se, I think we, you can, you and I both consider some of the guys, you know, good friends and it makes it a lot more cool to watch their career when you're like, man, I used to talk to this guy all the time. And now he's, he's making huge plays on Saturdays. It's su- super cool feeling. Yeah, no, and I, we won't name any names, but I know that there have been a few guys probably where we had um, the scoop around the same time, or even maybe a little bit before some of the guys on the. Oh yeah, that was sure. always kind of fun when we when we knew something that maybe other people didn't. Oh, it's uh, fun to hint at it for sure, just with your buddies or whatever. Like I know something you don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so Mason, I wanted to kind of. Uh, I know we didn't really get into a lot of like the Florida state Toledo stuff with Toma because we really wanted to get his perspective just kind of like on the team and, you know, kind of the atmosphere of, of, or what he's kind of watching when, when he's, when he's looking at everything and obviously really cool perspective from him. One, one thing that, and we're 45 minutes in or something we didn't get into was the offensive line. Um, and yeah. where that's probably the weak link of the team right now. Um, There's no probably about it. Yeah, no, I think I tweeted after the game, and some people probably even disagree with this just because of the way some of the big plays the defensives allowed. Um, I personally think that that's really only like the – I think that's really the only definite weakness on this team. I think there's been some other issues here and there, like obviously allowing big plays, The maybe the, the second safety position you could probably – weakness as well. Um but I really do think that if this offensive line can get to a point where they're just simply solid, they don't have to be elite. They don't have to be necessarily above average per se, but just a solid offensive line unit that you can count on to protect the quarterback and, and open up some running lanes, you know, every now and then team can go, can go places for sure. No, I, I agree for sure. And you, you said it best, just be solid. You don't have to, 
to be winning trophies as the nation's best offensive line like we've seen in the past. Just be solid. You can't give up six sacks to a Toledo, and I understand that's an experience defense, whatever. There's a loss, too. How many? 11 tackles for loss, too, which is okay, crazy. So, yeah, that's 11 too many. And <laughs> I understand it's an experience defense, whatever, but um, you, that just can't happen. The offensive line just has to be decent. And Jeff Quinn's still recruiting at a high level, but it's about development at this point when you're seeing a guy like Tosh Baker, who was supposed to be a stud. And I believe he ended up being around a top 100 guy just come in and he looks a little bit lost and something needs to change there. But I think the defense can be fixed. And, when you lose three linebackers for the season, that's obviously tough, but I don't even think the linebackers are the problem. The defensive line's playing well. You you only really have – you have Kyle Hamilton at safety. It's the only safety you can trust. The corners have been fine. I just think it comes down to having another safety and a couple other DBs that you can really trust in limiting the big plays. Houston Griffith still looks like he's trying to figure it out after three or four years in the program now. And DJ Brown, you can't trust him at all. KJ Wallace, he missed his assignment and then he didn't see another snap. So Clarence Lewis, thank God he's he's hit and he looks like he's going to be for real. And Kim Hart's look good and he's a big corner out there that can do a lot of things for you. I like his potential, but things just got to come together. And I do trust that Marcus Freeman's going to make it happen. But you're right, it all comes down to, to Jeff Quinn on the offensive line. And if he doesn't get it figured out, I think that's what moves this team's floor and stealing, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, it's weird. I mean, I, for me, I think the defense, a lot of it has to do with just rotating guys. And I know, I know Kelly and Freeman and, and they've kind of talked about this at, at nauseum, I think two weeks is just making sure that the guys aren't out there for every single snap but they also probably weren't expecting to lose. Like you mentioned, three, three linebackers for the season. Now Prince call has been out. Um, you know, he'll be out for the second straight week. Jordan Patello has been out. Hopefully we get him back this week. He can sort of play linebacker and um, you know, and, and, and rush the passer from the defensive ends. Uh, so hopefully they're getting a few guys back here as well. Um, but, but really I think it's going to come down to just making sure. And, and I, uh, Robbie said this best is letting these guys play free and then also make sure we're rotating, um, you know, or make sure the coaches are rotating guys in to where they're not gassed in the fourth quarter. Um, Cause I think specifically against Toledo. Um, and I think you would agree with me. I know you were at the game. So probably watching it live was just a little bit different than watching it on TV, of course, but the, the defense didn't allow anything until the fourth quarter. They, yeah, they right. Playing. You're absolutely right. And I think I wasn't, I was reminding people, you know, I, w- I wasn't checking Twitter besides at halftime during the game, but I was reminding people around me, they were like, what's up with this new, you know, defensive coordinator or whatever. I was like, they haven't scored an offensive touchdown. Yeah. And whatever, I, I don't remember exactly what point I said that, but it was the second half. And, you know, it takes a second. They were reminded, they're like, oh, yeah, they, I mean, they haven't. And uh, turning the ball over three times put Marcus Freeman and company in, in difficult spots. And I, I understand it's against Toledo. I don't want to hear the comments, but at the same time, you're, you're getting put in difficult spots where it's almost hard for them not to score. So, I mean, what are you going to do? I, I don't know. I, I, I have hope, and I believe in Marcus Freeman. Uh, we're only two games in. He's got to establish his system with these guys. And I, I think by the end of the season, we're going to look back and hopefully just forget about these first two. Specifically defensively, I think we're, we're going to look back and, and kind of laugh a little bit about it. Yeah, I and hope it, so. And it really goes back to what you said, man. Yeah, they've allowed like four or five explo- explosive, explosive plays this year. But even against Toledo, I mean, they had the one explosive play. To- they ended up kicking a field goal. If Notre Dame doesn't throw a pick six, and let's just say they limit the, the same, the, Toledo does the same exact thing where they just have the two field goals. And then let's just say Notre Dame scores one or two more touchdowns in the first half, which in all reality against Toledo, regardless of how good of a Mac team they are, you probably should have done that. Yeah. We're looking at something like 28 to six at halftime. And then who cares if they have a couple of big chunk plays? No one worries about the chunk plays at the end of the game when Notre Dame's up, you know, 35 to, to 13 at the beginning of the fourth quarter uh, who, who cares if they have a few chunk plays when, when that's the score it's when it becomes 32 to 29 and you're playing for your college football playoff life in the second week of the season against a Mac team um, you know with two minutes left in the game that's when it becomes a problem no I agree and I, I really like the aggressive style that Freeman has kind of has shown so far where it's like running to the ball and I, I like I like the aggressive tendencies and it it kind of paid off. I mean, there was big plays against Florida State, but 
when you when you force three turnovers, or maybe it was four, three or four turnovers, that's a big deal. But you got to force more against a team like Toledo to balance out the big plays or just you know get rid of the big plays entirely. It would be great. But if you're going to play that aggressive style, you are going to give up big plays. But they gotta they gotta balance out with you know some forced fumbles, some some interceptions, and letting Kyle Hamilton do his thing as a, a ball hawk playing center field. So um, Freeman or give him interceptions that he actually had. What's that? Or or actually give him interceptions that he actually had. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't get that. <laughs> and especially I was in the other end zone. I think I sent you a picture of where my seats were. Um, yeah. I was in the other end zone where when that happened. So I uh, it looked like an interception to me, and I had actually a good view of it considering I was 120 yards away or whatever. But I just I don't know how you overturn that because to me it's called an interception on the field. There's nothing that shows the ball definitively bouncing off the turf. So I don't know how you overturn that. But how do we not have better camera angles also? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I still don't think the ball touched the ground, even looking at I don't think it did either. I think, you know, how like volleyball players like slide their hand like up under like between like the the floor and the balls. He looked like I think I called a pancake. That looks like what he did. A pancake. I think you're talking about offensive line play there, fella. We're not getting any pancakes <laughs> on the offensive line. I don't know. I think that's what they called it in high school, maybe. I'm just messing with you. I don't think we can wrap up this podcast without talking about the quarterback play. I know we brought it up a little bit with Toma um, to, uh, you know, to start the podcast. But I know that this was something that at least the coaching staff hinted at to the media. And they kept it quiet, which, you know, kudos to the media for keeping it quiet. I was, I remember, I think I went into the kitchen to grab myself some water, you know, just, I mean, obviously during a like that. And then all of a sudden Tyler Buckner's on the field and I'm like, oh no, did either Cone got hurt or the staff is going full Buckner 2021. Like I've been calling for since we've signed him essentially. I do remember that. That's true. (laughs) And um, I, I didn't know if I should be excited or not. I was excited to watch Tyler and he obviously played well and, and looks like the guy that we all thought he was um, when they signed him. But at the same time, I, I really do think that this team kind of needs both to, to do well. Yeah, I agree. And I didn't, I didn't know. Yeah. Like you said, kudos to everybody that kept it under wraps, but I didn't know that he was going to come in. I didn't know I would see the, the debut um so that was cool he was electric when he came out and everybody's excited and it was cool that you know I sometimes I feel like I get annoyed like watching with people because they're like casual fans or whatever like who is this guy or whatever but everybody knew who he was in a way which is super cool um you know not, and everybody doesn't know like the, the full depth chart like we do but to know like oh Tyler Buckner's in like let's go everybody's so excited and for not having yeah. a sellout crowd, everybody was pumped to see him. So, and he, he played really well. He didn't look like uh, he didn't look shaken or he didn't look nervous or anything. So, um, I was listening to a, a podcast recently, and Pete Prisco was saying that if he's you're, you know a young quarterback, they got it or they don't. I think he's got it. Yeah. No, he just looked dynamic. I think. Yep. I mean, you you like you mentioned. I mean, you just look at him from the get go, and it's like, man, is is this the type of kid that's going to have it when the lights are on or when the whistle first blows, regardless of his you know his practice week or something like that? And I think that's what he has. I mean, uh, that that off platform throw that he threw for a touchdown to Chris Tyree. Yes, that on a reel for like several hours at a time. This <laughs> this. Yeah, I love it. That's I mean. I almost don't want to say it, but it's like Mahomes-esque, that little arm slot thing. Yeah. No, if you're – all this talk about the kid's accuracy or the kid's, uh, you know, his throwing motion, whatever, you know, got screwed up or or he changed it a little bit, you know, during his his time off with COVID or before his 2020 season or before his supposed 2020 season or whatever, I mean – that that's where I kind of get what you're saying with the, the kids got it. I mean, you see these camps that he went to and maybe it wasn't always, you know, the, the craziest showing because other guys are just better, you know, not in, not in pads or whatever. But when the kid was in pads, we, we saw what he could do on the ground. We, and, and now we're seeing what he can do when you let him throw the ball. I mean, I even thought the throw to, to Brayden Lindsay, if book throws that people are on his case because it's like, it was in, it was a screen pass that was in like triple coverage, essentially, but he threw it only where Lindsay was going to get it. 
and then he he also gave Lindsay room to run where even though there were four or five in the, around the ball he was able to pick up you know 15 yards or whatever it was yeah it's important that he's he's seeing those kind of things <laughs> because um sometimes you see a, a guy go in at quarterback or you know other positions but especially quarterback where the eyes are all on you and you see almost a a deer in the headlights look where they're like oh my god like i don't know what to do and you didn't get that at all with him he just seemed so poised and he's like yeah i'm ready to do this let's go so and considering he hadn't played serious football in what almost two years right that's uh that's pretty cool and this this the the sky is the the limit for for buckner i think um, imagine how good he'd be if he had two more years of experience under his belt two more years of perfecting his, his throwing motion and two more years of reading defenses, analyzing everything. I, I think that Tommy Reese is really going to take him under his wing. And then next year we're, we're really going to see what he's made of. Yeah, no, it probably helps too. And on the first play that you run, you run it for like 32 yards or whatever it was too. Oh yeah. You got to um, be imagined. He was just pumped. Yeah. They get, that gets the juices flowing. The general, the adrenaline's going. And, and I feel like it's probably hard to come down from that high at that point in time. Yeah. That has to be so cool. I mean, we'll, we'll never experience that, but Everybody's so pumped for you, and I think it was good that uh, that Cone and Drew Pine were excited for him too. I was kind of curious. Uh, we'll, we won't hear from Drew Pine, but curious about how Drew Pine felt about that. You know, he, he's the second on the depth chart, but to get passed up, and I know it's because Buckner can run, and that's what they wanted to see. But I wonder right. if a little bit of him was like, "Man, like I could, I could go out there and make something happen. Like, what's going on?" So I, I almost wonder if he sees the writing on the wall in terms of it being. Buckner's job to lose next year not to say Pine's a bad quarterback but Buckner might have it and I think Pine is solid he's going to be a good college starter wherever he he goes if he doesn't end up at Notre Dame but I think Buckner has it I don't necessarily think Pine does yeah it's it's interesting because obviously he's still listed at number two on the depth chart but you wonder I mean I know the staff has kind of said that if Cohn went down that Pine would be the guy but you you specifically after watching what Buckner did against Toledo albeit yes it is against Toledo and it's not like he did this at Florida State even though they're not a great fo- football team either but just in a day um you know it is interesting to see that if like let's just say Cone went down with an injury like what what would the what would the staff do um I think that they would have a predicament on their hands for sure yeah they definitely would and I they, it's just two different skill sets again where I think Pine is his play style is very similar to Ian Book, and if that's the way that you want to go, where he can use his legs, he's not a statue like Jack Cone. He can, he's going to be accurate with the ball. He's not going to, he's not a dynamic necessarily, where he's going to push the ball down the field and he can get it done with his legs and just do it all like I think Tyler Buckner can and will. So it depends kind of what the what the situation would be, but hopefully we don't get to that. I think what they have going right now and two different looks with Cone and Buckner is a good thing, and then. We'll uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. As far as uh, Buckner versus Pine next spring, yeah, no, absolutely. And then obviously you're bringing in Angeli at that point too. Maybe Brendan Clark's still on the roster. Who knows? Um, so there there could be a little bit of a QB battle on the hands. Uh, real quick before we wrap up, guys, we're gonna we're gonna kind of roll into a little bit of Notre Dame Purdue. Um, just kind of like our our overall thoughts on you know how that game will turn out and our prediction. Um, Obviously, have a few guys that Notre Dame was recruiting um, when they were, uh, you know, when they and you know Carl uh, Loftus and you know David Bell, T.J. Sheffield, who you know we all we all know kind of had the interesting recruitment to Notre Dame and then ended up decommitting very soon after that and going to Purdue. Um, yeah, so some interesting guys that you know we've heard of and you know guys that have produced well at that level. Um, so a, a good football team, Jack Plummer, who's related to Mason Plummer, if you guys didn't know, um, is the quarterback. Not true. <laughs> um, but they obviously did lose their their starting running back, who's from actually, I think, the Notre Dame area. You might know him. Um, yeah, he uh, he was in the same uh, graduating class as me, Xander Horvath. He's a monster. He went to uh, Mishawaka Marion, which is a direct rival of, South Bend, St. Joseph. So they're like rival schools. So both in the the South Bend area, both have have had athletes go to DJ go to Jackson, Dame. I believe, right? Yeah, Demetrius Jackson went to Marion, and then um, yeah, everybody knows St. Joseph High School. So, um, but yeah, Tony That's right. Is that how you say it? Yep. Okay. Well, I need to learn that. But yeah. Anyways, you can get to your point. 
<laughs> no, I was that was it. That was the point. That was the point. Just that I could pronounce his name. Oh, but yeah, in terms of Purdue, um, what's the I'm gonna set the line at two and a half sacks for Karloftis over under. Uh, I'll go under only because that is a lot. Um, I think he'll be disruptive. Name uh, O line will will come to play a little bit more than they have done over the last two weeks. Um, especially if Baker is starting, um, he'll have kind of that, that, that first game jitters of sorts under his belt. And I think he actually did improve as the game went on against Toledo. I thought he looked pretty good in that final drive that Notre Dame scored to to win the game as well. So, um, if he ends up being the guy, um, I I think he'll, um, he'll play better than he did. And then obviously if Carmen, he's the the guy and he's ready to go with his ankle sprain, I I think he's a, a pretty good backup to Blake Fisher. Um, which in reality, I mean, I think that is the the weak point is the left tackle spot right now. If they can figure that out, that is um, that that'd be huge. Um, but the other guys obviously have to step up. Kane Madden has not been what we expected coming um, coming in as a old Josh Lug has kind of been up and down. Uh, Patterson and Corral, I think, have been fine overall for the most part. Um, specifically, Corral in the Florida State game, I thought was was actually pretty good um, and, and was probably unfairly targeted because of the rest of the offensive line play um but no i mean this purdue game should be um you know it's a rivalry game they haven't played it in seven eight years whatever it is so i mean I, i imagine that that obviously purdue will be fired up to play but at the same time i mean this is this is one of those games that if if notre dame puts a full game together you know they should win by double digits don't you think yeah, I agree. I'm just going to go ahead and throw out my prediction. I've been kind of going back and forth. I'm going to go ahead and 34-21. Oh, man, we're Purdue. close. What's that? I said we're close on our prediction. Yeah, I think David Bell's a hell of a receiver. The Notre Dame corners are good, not great. I think he's an NFL guy. Um, I'm going to see if my long-lost cousin at quarterback can do his thing. Um, <laughs> I think the Purdue offense, from what I've read, um, the offensive line is going to struggle. So I'm predicting a big day for Foskey, probably a couple turnovers. So I, I do think that Notre Dame will have it put away in the fourth quarter, maybe just a late touchdown when they try to rotate in some guys and Freeman tries to see what he's, what some of his guys that he hasn't really seen yet are, are made of. But yeah, I'm going to go 34 20. 34 20. I got 37 23. Uh, okay. so, so overall, pretty pretty much the same. I think Notre Dame will limit the big plays on defense. Um, I think that they're going to do a pretty good job uh, on David Bell specifically because I think that's going to be their main focus. Um, having um, Horvath off the field, I think, helps Notre Dame kind of focus on that a little bit more. Um, but Jack Plummer is an extremely accurate quarterback. I think he's at like 70-something. 70 something percent this year so far um albeit against not maybe the greatest competition um you know so notre dame's going to be a step up in that regard um but i think freeman's gonna uh, dial up some some timely blitzes uh they're gonna get in Plummer's face a little bit and he's he's definitely gonna have to have his or he's gonna be on have to be on his a game uh to win this game for 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 purdue um so yeah i'm, I'm going 37 23 and i think my big my bold prediction is that uh we're going to see a, a freshman touchdown. Oh, yeah. I, I thought we'd see one against Toledo, but we did not. So I'm going to think of a well, – give me your player. You have to give somebody. You have to give me a name. I'm going to go Colsey kind of like on a fade route in the end zone, like off like the like yard it. line or something. Is like he going to moss somebody? Yeah, pretty much. Moss somebody. Okay, I'm going to go with Mitchell Evans. Mitchell Evans is going to get his first touchdown. All right, that's certainly bold. I think he has like seven snaps on the season. So there you oh, go. Oh, it's bold for sure. But I was trying to think of like, is Logan Diggs going to get a touchdown? I don't know. Is that, I, will Estime even play? That's who I wanted to go with was, was Diggs or Estime. But I'm like, neither of them have gotten any snaps so far this year. So it's, I think it's hard. You know, they're, I think the team misses Sebo a little bit. Yeah, all they um, do for sure. Because they, they not only his aggressive running style, but just the fact that they would love to kind of rotate three backs in from time to time, or just to give the other guys a breather. Um, but I'm a little surprised, even though the games have been close, that neither Diggs or Estime have gotten a single carry so far. Yeah, that is kind of odd. I think we will see that 
I mean, they they're going to have to get carries eventually. Um, Sebo will be back, so maybe not. But um, I, I, he serves his four game suspension. So if my memory serves me right, he'll be back. Yeah, week no, after absolutely. Wisconsin is that right? Uh, yeah, I'm thinking it's the four game suspension. I mean, obviously Notre Dame doesn't talk about stuff like that, but it seems like that's the case. He did have the kind of the run in with the law. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the off season. So it makes sense that he'd be out for four games. And I think kind of the same thing happened with Patello where he ended up having to serve like a two game suspension or whatever. Um, but, uh, but I guess we'll, we'll, we'll pretty much never know when it comes to that regard, but, uh, but awesome guys, it was, uh, we've run a little long today. We're almost at, I think an hour and, and 10 minutes or so. Um, again, we, we had Robbie, Robbie Toma on earlier. So make sure you're listening uh, have some some special guests coming up here in the near future. So uh, continue to continue to make us a part of your uh, podcast platform. You can find us anywhere. Golden Homers Podcast. Again, I'm Nathan. You can find me on Twitter at Nathan underscore Erbach, and you can find Mason on Twitter at Mason Plumber. Uh, again, not spelt the traditional plumber way. It's the double M. Jack Jack Plumber is his cousin. So Jack Plummer under or uh, no, I almost called you Jack Plummer, Mason. You can find him <laughs> at Mason Plummer underscore on Twitter. Um, again, thanks, guys. We'll see you next week.